Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we will go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football It's Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for a large variety of football cards and memorabilia on the web, MSBSportsCards.com. And we're also sponsored in part by BSD Auctions. Check out their website and register for their auctions if they haven't yet, BSDAuctions.com. And it is at this time I'd like to introduce my special guest, co-host, who is a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia and card collector and historian that has an incredible collection of pre-World War II items, in particular the 1925 Pottsville Maroons. I'd like to introduce a good friend of Gridiron Greats Magazine and the podcast, Mr. Jeff Payne. Jeff, welcome to the show tonight. Hey, good day, Bob. How you doing? You got a little extra pep in your step today. I think it must be a football weekend or something. Any any games it going is. on this weekend? Anything good? <laughs> Big football weekend tomorrow with the classic matchup leading to the Super Bowl. Patriots and Chiefs, the Rams and the Saints. Should be a very interesting and very, very 
challenging game for all four teams. And I know you're you're a little uh, little biased toward the Patriots there, and all I'm hearing here in New England is the dynasty is either continuing or the dynasty is over. It's pretty mm-hmm. interesting to read and listen to at the same time. Well, all, all four of these, or both of these games, all four of these teams played some incredible games during the regular season, and against each other, their games were incredible. If we have anything like that this weekend, you know. Chiefs and Patriots mm-hmm. game was phenomenal, and so was the Rams and Saints. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, it should be a great, great uh, Sunday of football, and uh, we're bracing here for the ice Armageddon coming. Uh, we're going to get a storm with, I guess, incredible amounts of sleet and freezing rain. And, uh, you know, I'm exaggerating it, obviously. So we'll see what happens. We'll get a lo- have a little ice on Sunday. So hopefully I won't lose uh, electric and uh, I'll be able to watch the games in the comfort of the compound here. Hey, Jeff, I want to talk a little bit about, before we have our special guest tonight, uh, the 1935 National Chuckle Premium Set, which is also known to purists as the R311-2 Set. There's 17 different photo premiums for the set, which were a, uh, a collector or a child or whoever at the time could send in wrappers and get the different uh, photos sent to them for their collection. It, it, to me, almost has like a cult-like following in the hobby and I'm very happy to have at least one type piece for my collection, which is the 34 New York Giant uh, World Football Championship photo, which is just a classic, classic vintage football photo. I'm looking at it right now. I pulled it out of my collection before the show. Fill us in a little on, on this set. I know you're, you're very, very advanced in the set, and uh, I know you know a great deal about it. Underrated, underrated premiums. I, you know, the Chickle set is so popular with collectors. You would think the premium set associated with it would be more popular. I'm actually sitting here. I was leafing through my set, you know, as we were you know, going through the intro there and, and the, you know, the music. And uh, it's just a fantastic set. As you mentioned, 17 um, photos, a combination of, football players, you know, kind of portraits of players. There's some portraits of coaches. There's some team photos. You mentioned the Giants, of course, that, you know, they won in the infamous sneaker game uh, that mm-hmm. in 1934. So that's the team, you know, classic, classic game in football history. And, and there's some action shots as well, both of NFL games and also college games. So every, you know, everything I read doesn't really designate, um, how difficult some of these are versus others. Um, actually, yeah, I've been digging in a little bit, and you know, I'm hoping to write up a little bit more on the set and you know, get something into Gridiron Greats magazine. You know, hopefully this coming year on the set. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's been some correspondence that um, that states that originally they they sent out 12 of the premiums. And it was part of the first, you know, set of boxes they sent to the the retailers, you know. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the way you got these premiums was, you know, basically redeeming 20 wrappers back to the retail store that you had purchased your cards at, which means five of these did not go out with the original, you know, kind of 
low series cards. I'm guessing they mm-hmm. only came out with the short prints. So they are short prints. And the question is, which ones are they? <laughs> I've been trying to figure that out. That's that's what I want to spend a little time on. Yeah, so, I mean, some that are obvious, right? So Joe Bach um, is mm-hmm. generally regarded as the most difficult premium to find. He was, uh, at the time, coach of the what was then the Pittsburgh Steelers slash became mm-hmm. the you know, Pittsburgh Pirates became the Steelers. He was a member of Notre Dame's famous kind of seven mules. They were the blockers for the four horsemen. Uh, for a long time, my understanding was in the hobby, this it was only a rumor that this premium existed. It was on the checklist, but nobody could seem to find one and post one. And then, then a few started showing up and popping up. And, and, um, and so there are some out there now. There are a few um, complete sets you'll occasionally see if you have come up for auction in the last decade. Uh, but that one, to me, is the most difficult one you know, out there to find um, in mm-hmm. any condition. That's mm-hmm. a toughie. Um, another one that for me personally was tough, and, and I'm really, because there's nothing written up on which ones the short, short prints are, I did put my set together one at a time, so I kind of sort of know which ones I had trouble finding. The second one was George Christensen. You know, George, very underrated player, you know, not in the Hall of Fame. He is on the 1930s All-Decade team. He's four-time right, first-teamer, right. I think two-time second-teamer. He only has one other item. Um, you know, kind of card, if you will, or premium. He has a matchbook in the 33 set, and then he has a Chickle premium in 35. And those are really the mm-hmm. only, um, you know, items of his that show him by himself. Um, I had a bear of a time finding that. I actually found the Joe Bach before I found the Christensen, but I kind of lucked into the Bach. And um, okay. I've only ever seen one one since. Um, so I'm pretty sure the Christensen is, is one of the ones that was not originally um, – sent out with the set right, um, right. Now, the other are, one i had a lot of trouble finding and this car this one's a real puzzler is the stan Costca. Uh, it's a puzzler because yeah. it's the only premium that also there's a there's a card in the chickle set of Costca, and he's one of right. the short prints and it's the same exact image as on the premium which makes me wonder right were they thinking that over time, you know, as the back of the Chickle cards say, they were, you know, they were thinking of creating, you know, they set up to 240 cards for the set. Now, who knows if they were serious about that or that was marketing, but were they thinking about, you know, converting the, the ones that were premiums into cards eventually in the set like they did for Costco? Or did they only do that because they were so desperate for images, right, when they were trying to cobble together a, you know, really a second series that they had his image, so they used it. Um, right. But right. that opens up the, you know, could we have had a Grange? There's a Grange in the premium. You know, could could they have taken that image of Grange and were they planning to make that into a Chickle card? Um, right. That would have been right. totally awesome, obviously. Right. Well, you know, that's that's been the argument for a long time. You know, were those premiums going to be cards down the road? Or because of everything going on with Chickle at the time, you know, they just realized keep it at 36 cards and that's it, and that's all they're gonna, all they're going to print. I'm also always curious, and maybe you could give me some feedback on it. How how many of these premiums do you think were actually printed? Would you have any guesstimate? Well, I mean, the the short 
uh, you never see them come up. I mean, the one that comes up the most is the Eddie Casey, who, um, right. you know, the, the, he was the one that signed the back of the cards and supposedly wrote the descriptions for the cards on the back. At least his name is associated with them. That one comes up all the right. time, which makes you almost wonder whether it was distributed outside of the set itself. Um, that one shows up way more than the others. And so you got to kind of wonder about that one. Um, right. So there's 17 right. of them. You know, I, I would say I've probably outside of the few sets that pop up. And, and if anybody goes out there looking for the sets, you'll see the same ones come up for option again and again. So it's not like all those are separate sets. Um, I, I would say, you know, it, it, you know, if you figure, you know, each box had, 12 wrappers in it and you start doing the mm-hmm. math on the population of the chickle set you could probably turn the crank and estimate um you know how many of these were actually ever distributed out there at all um, i would say the mm-hmm. short print um i would be shocked if um you know more than 50 of them were even ever distributed maybe a hundred and you know, because what most of them, I've never seen more than two or three Joe Box, for instance, or George Christensen's um, ever right. come out. Right. Right. So it's a really That's low funny. pop. I went into my uh, notes on this set, and the notes I had were from the early 90s. And long story short, I had talked to several dealers about it because I would see them once in a while at a show. And I didn't know enough about them. I know, like everybody else, the 35 Chickle set, I didn't understand the premium set at the time. And then I did more investigation on it and looking at it back then. I had one dealer tell me straight out that he thought there was less than uh, 100 of each ever printed. Mm -hmm. And his estimate was half of those actually went to the market, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And the other half was probably destroyed. Yeah, and uh, Mm -hmm. they were destroyed and or they're – caught in somebody's warehouse right now unbeknownst to anybody and uh, they're waiting to be found. I find that highly unlikely. So I really think, in my opinion, it's always been, if you have a complete set of, of these inserts, you're probably one of a dozen people in the country who have a full set. I don't think there's more than 12 complete sets of these around. I mean, I could be badly, I could be very off in my estimates, but that's my, my best judgment. I know for a fact of three complete sets, yours being one of them, mm-hmm. and and two other collectors, and that's it. So it's it's fascinating to me that this is, and I agree with you, a completely overlooked uh, early pre World War II set that depicts so many different interesting aspects of NFL early NFL history and uh, uh, early collecting history for football cards and memorabilia. I only have a type piece, which is the 34 Giants World Football Champion photo, uh, which is classic, classic. Sure is. Yeah, and, and there are some still some mysteries in this set. It, I was just me. actually digging digging into the um, premium around the uh, Detroit Lions um, um, <clears throat> one that talks about the greatest tackle ever, and there's some interesting yeah. nuances to that image that have never been documented as far as I know. I'm, that's part of what I'm hoping to write up in, in Great Iron Greats uh, here in the coming year. 
But so there's still stuff yeah. being discovered in this set as well. I mean, it's not like this set is completely nutted and everybody understands everything there is about the 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 players and the teams and the images. I mean, you mentioned the the Giants photo. There appears as though two players were pasted in to that photo. Right. Um, right. And right. They weren't right. part of the original photo. So what? Why? Where were they? What was up? I've I've seen some stuff that Mike Morin has has posted about some injuries to those particular players. Did they miss the team photo? You know, when was the team photo taken? You know, all that stuff is undiscovered. You know, things about this this set that make it so interesting. Right. Right. And I'm looking at it right now, and I can see the pasting in the back, and um, I believe it's Newman, the quarterback, mm-hmm. and Clancy, the halfback, were pasted in. And, uh, yep, and Newman, well, we could call and Newman is, a bit, is in the set as well, and he's pretty hard to get to. Right, right. And um, it, it's it's interesting because it's obvious they were they were cut and pasted into the photo, which to me is very interesting because not a lot of that was ever done back then. So that was pretty progressive that they did something like that. But uh, it's just a classic, classic photo. I mean, it, and the uh, the individual players, you got Kenny Strong in this picture. Uh, this is the 34th mm-hmm. World Championship photo, too. So it makes it even yeah. more historical as far as, as far as its place in collecting and, and in the history of the early NFL. It's a fascinating. It's a fascinating insert set, and I highly recommend any collector. And I know I've I've steered a couple collectors for uh, tight pieces over the years. I've handled a couple of them, not many, but uh, I like I tell any collector, you should have at least one uh, of these pieces in your collection just to see what they're like and and to see how you know really they they're very very um, unique as far as being able to last as long as they did, meaning that, you know, here you got a piece that's almost uh, 90 years old here, and they still mm-hmm. hold up, and they still look, still look very, very good. There's not a lot of toning to a lot of these pictures either. So they were very well no. produced. And, uh, you know, they're to, to me, they're, they're fascinating, a fascinating piece of history of... Uh, pick up one for your collection, you're going to have a, a very interesting and rare piece of early NFL memorabilia, to say the least, and of football cards at that time. I can only imagine, I, I always think about what it was like to be a young kid, you know, going to a candy store and buying a few packs of the Chickles, and then saying to yourself, gee, I need 20 packs, so now i got to buy 20 packs to get the wrapper so I can get one of these photos. You know that that's right. gotta be that was a heck of a challenge for a kid at that time, especially coming out of the depression and everything going on at the time. It's just, uh, it's amazing, and how many young kids really liked football? You know, just yep. uh, 20s a lot, and it's interestingly it's more than the baseball set because you mentioned our, the R three eleven designation. There, you know, the R three eleven dash one is a is a baseball set, and right, right, they only right. required fifteen premiums to get the baseball one. So what the hey? What's up right. with football? Why are they uh, right. making the football you know, kids buy more? What's up with right. that? You know. <laughs> right. And I think part of the I think part of that issue was they they knew they only printed a few of them, and because they printed a few of them, they didn't want a lot of you know kids running back and forth buying three four packs and getting a, a photo right away. You know what I mean? 
So yeah, that's, no, that's another probably part of it. true. And also probably the reason why there's so many more baseball ones out there because they're, you know, the baseball ones are a lot easier to find and put oh, that, yeah, put that yeah. set together than the football. Even though there's a lot more of them in the set, it's a lot easier. I agree with that 100%. All right. We have our special guest. He's ready. Um, we're going to introduce him now. He is featured as our Dallas Cowboys super collector in our current winter issue of Gridiron Greats magazine with an outstanding and an amazing collection of cowboy cards and memorabilia. I had the great pleasure of meeting this gentleman a few months ago at uh, our little uh, football getaway weekend. And I'd like to welcome to our show tonight, Mr. Steve Wolf. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. Uh, Jeff, uh, thank you guys for the invitation. I really enjoyed listening to the discussion of the uh, Chickle Premiums. It kind of puts a whole different cast on rarity when you're talking about maybe 12 sets in existence, maybe a circulation of 50 to 100 for each of the items. It's it's amazing that you've been able to put that set together. It is. And, that's, you know, that's the part of our hobby that I think is, is really unknown to still a lot of people. There are many, many rare and very small, small distrib- distri- uh, distribution and printed items, especially pre-World War II items, and a lot of the post-World War II items in the late 40s and early 50s. There's just not a lot of it out there. And I, I don't think a lot of collectors really understand that or, or really know. You know, if you have a piece, if you have an R311 II premium, you have one of very few. You know, they're exceptionally rare, to say the least, as compared to, you know, 80s and 90s stuff type of thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating part of our history in collecting football items that I, I think is still overlooked to this day. But in any event, Steve, welcome to our show. And I'd like to find out and start off our questions with, uh, how did you become a fan and start collecting Dallas Cowboys cards and Cowboys memorabilia? Well, it's a, a little bit of a, a long story. <laughs> I uh, had my grandparents on my mother's side um, transferred from the hometown uh, where I grew up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area the year that I was born. So I remember hearing about Dallas from my mother all the time uh, as a little boy. And the first family vacation I remember that we took out of town was to Texas to, to visit them. So when I turned eight and we had a local peewee uh, football team called the Little Dutchman and some friends of mine and I were interested in playing. Um, I naturally was a, a Dallas Cowboys fan and um, I remember opening up my first packs of cards in 1980. Uh, my mom was a waitress at a restaurant and from time to time she would take my brother and I along in on a Friday night or a Saturday morning and uh, we would sit in the back on a deep freezer chest um, and watch cartoons. And from time to time, the proprietor would come and say, hey, we're a little busy. Can you guys help clean some tables? Or can you wash some potatoes and cut them into French fries? And he would give us a couple of dollars for the pinball machine or go across the street to the Acme store and bring us back grocery racks of 1980 Tops football cards. So I've probably opened (laughs) well over 100 of those. And uh, wow. <laughs> the, Rand- yeah, the, the Randy White card was my favorite. And uh, um, 
you know, in, in my hometown, uh, Randy's grandmother was a teacher at our high school. So whenever I would talk about the Cowboys, people would always say, do you know Randy White's uh, got family here? And um, a number of people have stories of, you know, the 4th of July parade where, you know, Randy came to visit his grandmother and he brought Ed Jones and Harvey Martin. Um, some friends of of mine, uh, father was a, uh, worked at a, a garage. And um, when uh, Randy was the MVP, co-MVP of uh, Super Bowl uh, 12, he got a, a car and he was coming to visit his grandmother in a snowstorm and um, hit a deer so that her father, uh, she believes did the repair work on the vehicle. So she's a big uh, Randy White fan and Dallas Cowboys fan as well. So um, so through the 80s, uh, there were a lot of people collecting cards. My friends, for the most part, all collected cards. Um, and we would put them all in the binders. And it was great fun to go over to a friend's house and pull a binder out, look at their stuff, have them look at your cards. And, um, and I collected until about 1991 when I went to college. Um, and then I, I kind of forgot about my cards. I moved them around with me, um, from place to place, but I didn't pull them out very often until finally my wife said to me, you know, Hey, you've got a vacation coming up here in, in 2014. Why don't you go through the closet since half of it is, is full of cards and see if you can clean things out. And, um, when I was going back through everything, kind of catching up with where the hobby had been the time I was away. Um, I realized that most of what I had was, was not in very good condition, but it was also in that era of, of the junk wax era where there was overproduction and um, things were worth more then than they, than they are now. Um, but some of them had sentimental value to me. So I kept those and I sent the rest of them to commonsforkids.org. Um, they packaged the cards and give them out at children's hospitals and orphanages and so on. So it's a great way for you to take cards that you don't want anymore. And um, I thought it was a better use of them than, you know, putting a bonfire up in the backyard or filling up a trash bag. Like I watched a couple of YouTube videos of people burning their cards. Steve, you got to realize it's sacrilegious to burn a card. I would never do that, nor would I dispose any. And I'm like you, I would donate it first before I would ever do something Absolutely. like that. So. I take yeah, it, I, I take can it just very, kind of imagine. Say that again. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. No, no. Uh, um, to me, it's just I, I think it's a great idea to donate the cards. I've seen too many people, even at shows, they would break open packs and they would just leave whatever cards they didn't want and they throw them in the wastebasket or whatever. And, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I still don't believe it to this day. A lot of people still do that. And uh, but, anyways, go ahead. Jeff, go ahead. So, so I uh, go go ahead, Steve. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say you probably heard the classic story about Matt Mellon coming to Maryland when he was coming out of high school and his run-in with Randy White. Did you have you heard that classic story? If you haven't, you should watch the Matt Mellon. Uh, it might be a football life. Um, he tells a story about coming, you know, big weightlifter, pumped up, big lineman dude, really cocky, coming to Maryland for a recruiting visit. And, you know, I guess he either challenged Matt Millen or challenged Randy White to an arm wrestling match or got pushed into it but just got destroyed. 
When you were talking about Randy White, um, I was, that was running through my head because that really stuck with me, that story Matt Millen tells about Randy White. He was something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. We, we met Randy a couple of years ago, and he's still in fantastic shape, too. So, um. <laughs> I bet he is. Can you talk about, you know, a little bit more about your collection? Um, specifically, I'd love to, to know, you know, if you if you ended up somehow on a desert island, or maybe you're snowed in like Bob's going to be iced in here in a couple of days. Um, you know, what are the top <laughs> five things in your collection? You know, what is it you just would – what what – could you never let go of what are those top five things that you just you know enjoy and and savor over more than everything else you have because i've seen your stuff and you have an incredible collection well thank you i appreciate that i i think for me the 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 most iconic kind of card that i that i have is the 1972 roger staubach rookie for many people as a, a football player, but also as a, a person, my, my grandfather on my father's side, and I used to watch Cowboys games on Sunday afternoon. He was a big Tom Landry uh, fan and Roger Staubach fan. And he often talked about how he admired them, not just because of their success, um, but because of the person that they were as well. So, you know, to me, the, the Staubach has kind of a classic photo of him. Um, and I really, I really like that one. Um, one that I've I've tried to to get and took a long time to get is the '63 Bob Lilly rookie that I have. Um, mm, it's great. A, it's an eight and a half, and um, you know I've always had an affinity to the defensive guys. Um, when I came back into collecting, I I went out on the PSA registry and there were lots of player runs there for the offensive guys. You know, lots of people like the quarterbacks and the running backs and the wide receivers and so on. But a number of the great Cowboys defensive players like uh, Chuck Howley and Cornell Green and Cliff Harris didn't have sets there. So that kind of helped me set my collecting focus to say, I want to collect these things and, you know, put these things on the registry and see if other collectors are interested in them too. And, you know, fortunately it turned out that there was, there were other people that were interested in collecting them as well. So there's a number of other sets out there, people that have started those sets. Um, the uh, 1961 Fleer, uh, Don Meredith, um, I think is such a neat card. The image that's on the front of it is neat. I really like the old uh, Cowboys jerseys with the kind of three-quarter sleeves and the stars on the shoulders. And that one, um, the backdrop there in New York um, is neat. The original kind of Cowboy Joe logo of the outline um, on the bottom of the card, uh, I really like. Um, and you know, Don really kind of, and Don Perkins, they really don't get a lot of credit, enough credit in my mind for kind of helping steer the ship from the expansion team into a team that could contend for a championship. I mean, they really went through some really rough years there in Dallas. Um, so I really, really appreciate that card. And then the Randy White rookie card. I know the 1980 card was the first one I opened, but his rookie is such a neat card, the 76 tops. Um, there's 20 of those in PSA 10, and there's two of them. Two of the 20 of them are in this little town that I live in. Because um, Randy's, you know, kind of a hometown hero here, even though it's just family of his that lived here. He never lived here, but um, that Randy White card's fantastic. And I'm really partial to the 65 Philadelphia gum, Mel Renfro. 
just a, mm-hmm. a great shot of him kind of smiling on the front and um, really uh, a great item. Um, and uh, I was fortunate to be able to get that. I woke up one Saturday morning and it was listed on eBay and I was able to buy it right away. Um, so I was real happy. I kind of felt like I, I stumbled into that one because um, usually when they come up for auction, they go for a really high price and it was nice to get that one, just kind of buy it now and know that it was going to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No worry, no sweat, right? No nice. Yes, exactly. Grab it. <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve, you brought up a good point on that Mel Renfro card. I'm looking at this issue, our, our issue of GG with the pitcher in it, and I still remember to this day one of the first sets I opened was the 65 Philly set, and I remembered how many players actually smiled in that set and how many didn't because it was a classic, you know, um, profile uh, card that they picture they took for the card. So I got to agree with you. Mm-hmm. That run pro card is a beautiful card. And uh, your card, I mean, is in, literally in perfect condition. I pulled mine out from the set just to look, but yours is much better than mine. And uh, beautiful card, though, beautiful card. And I do agree with you. Him smiling on it just, just really looks great. Yeah, it's yeah, really, I, and, I and really nice. Set up, pulled my set up, and I didn't even scan that card, so that doesn't bode well for the quality of mine. <laughs> go, go ahead, Steve. I was gonna say there's a really neat backstory on on Mel when the Cowboys were on the clock uh, and they wanted to draft him. I guess he had had a disagreement with um, a girlfriend, I believe, and had punched a, a mirror. So um, Gil Brandt wanted to make sure that he was uh, still able to uh, play. It wouldn't impact his career. So just a little bit of a different time than um, there on the conference call for the draft. And Gil called a doctor um, who was, I guess, in Portland, and he drove to where Mel was and inspected his hand and called back a few hours later and gave the report to, to Gil, and everything looked like it was okay. And the Cowboys went ahead and drafted him. So totally different than today where you've got eight minutes, ten minutes to make a pick and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Wow. Yeah, and that was all done. You know, right today, every every injury's been scrutinized, and there's eight thousand doctors involved. It's all over Twitter, and you know, I, I love hearing those stories about how the early, you know, the early drafts went, and the extent that people went to the teams went to to figure out whether a player was, you know, going to be a good fit, was injured or not. They just didn't have the information they have today. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a mix. It's amazing. It's amazing. I know. I know you're collecting some other sets. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. So, so when I first when I first got collecting again in 2014, I kind of jumped in with both feet on buying these um, graded Cowboys cards for you know the all-time Cowboys set and the Ring of Honor set, and then starting to put together these player runs to get these players recognized on the registry. Um, but uh, you know, after a little while, it gets tough to try and find upgrades, and I really wanted to be able to look at the whole set, and I kind of fell in love with the 69 Tops um, first series football cards with the kind of full bleed color to the to the edge, and I started to put that set together. Yeah, it's a beautiful set, and um, I started to put that together as a graded set, and um, I got over 100 cards for the set, and I purchased some very nice uh, non-graded cards and thought, well, I'll send them into PSA and see if I can get them added to my set. And when they came back, they were all eights and nines. And I thought, hmm, 
you know, I bought these for, you know, $2, $3, $4, uh, significantly less than I'm paying for these, these graded cards. You know, why don't I just, you know, try and be picky and buy these cards ungraded and put together the set that way. So I sort of stopped putting together the, the graded set, started putting together the non-graded set. And I found that I really enjoyed that a lot. And, um, putting the cards into a binder, looking at them that way kind of reconnects me back to when I was a kid and I would share binders with my friends. And I really like seeing the entire set. Um, so as much as I like my Cowboys, I, I, I like seeing Jim Brown and some of the other guys um, in the earlier 60s sets. Um, so I really started to to enjoy that. And I've spent a lot of time the last couple of years putting together a set run from 1963 to 1969. And um, some of the years I'm very close on. I, I'm a Barton Star away from the 64 set and a Maxi Bond away from completing the 69 set. And a couple of sets that I'm, I've got a long way to go. I think I only have nine or ten cards for the 67 Philadelphia set, for example. But, uh, but that's where I've been spending a lot of my time on. And um, it's, it's interesting because some of, the, some of the cards that you find yourself chasing, like 1964 Philadelphia I really, really looked for, you know, Tom Gilberg and Joe Krupa and um, Grady Alderman and Ron Bull. Um, and I had a difficult time with Gary Collins. And you just start going back and researching more about the teams. And the sets were so small, you know, 12, 14 cards for each team. The guys that were in the sets were for the teams were really, you know, the best players on the team or some prospects on the team. And um, it's really nice to go back and, and learn about the history of the teams, the history of the players, and you get much more of an appreciation for what the league was like then, um, what the game was like then. So I've found that it's been, you know, a really good experience for me to kind of, you know, go away from, in some respects, that really tight collecting focus that I had around my graded Cowboys uh, cards to expand a little bit into some sets from the 1960s because um, it's really been an enjoyable experience. Well, you're you're addicted, Steve. So national tickle premiums are next. <laughs> yeah. Well, or or try and find some of the Pottsville items that you don't already have. Jeff. <laughs> so you wow. mentioned branching out a little bit, completing some sets. You know, what is currently on your want list? What are the things you're really focusing on getting that you feel like are holes in your collection that you, you'd really like to find right now? Well, um, that's a great question. I, I think white whale-wise, I'd, I'd still like to um, find um, a 1966 Bob Hayes rookie in uh, PSA 9 mint condition. Uh, there's three cards from the 60s, the Don Perkins 1962. I'd like to find in a nine. There's there's three of those. I've never seen one. Um, and the uh, Bob Lilly 63, I have an eight and a half. I would like to, to try and upgrade to a nine, but I might spend the rest of my life looking for those and not find them. So um, realistically, I, I'm, I'm working on filling in my, my set run, the 63 to 69 set run. And um, I'm looking for a, a 1971 bazooka box with uh, Dick Buckus and uh, Charlie Sanders and Chuck Howley on it, as well as a panel from the same box uh, for my Chuck Howley master set. Um, and I started working on a 50th anniversary Hall of Fame autograph set 
Uh, Panini has been inserting these cards in various um, products since 2013, um, and I've got about half of the set. Each of the cards is limited to 50 produced, and they're numbered on the back. And they're kind of a mirror finish look with a, a photo from the period of the player's career and an autograph on the front. Um, most of them are in blue Sharpie. A couple of them are in black Sharpie. But I'd really like to continue to make progress on that set. It's uh, a lot of fun to have a, a modern set to to work on building um, it, because the modern market is very difficult um, with so many different products and they're so uh, it, a broad range in price. You might pay 350 for a pack and get four cards. Um, so putting together a set with all the parallels and chase cards and autographs is a little more frustrating than trying to put together a vintage set. Um, but the autograph set's been fun. It's been a nice challenge and they're beautiful looking cards. Yeah, they are gorgeous. Yeah, those are nice cards, to say the least. Do you have any interesting collecting stories you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, you had a few we were talking about when we were down when I was down there. Yeah, we. Uh, the funny one between my wife and I is, um, you know, I really stressed about buying the the Roger Staubach rookie um, that I that I bought because the the <laughs> price of the PSA nine cards had really gone through the roof and. Um, when they started to come back down again, some Cowboys collecting friends of mine um, and I were chatting saying, you know, wh- where do you catch the falling knife on price? Um, they'd gone up to um, just under $18,000 in the summer of 2016. Um, and they had been at, you know, four to $5,000 for a long time. So where, where's the right place to try and try and buy it? Where's it going to stabilize? So finally it looked like it was back to an area of price where it was going to be, um, pretty stable. So I thought, well, you know, I'd really like to get this, but my wife went, went to bed. Um, and, uh, the auction was about to end and it turned out that I was fortunate enough to, to win it. So I told her the next morning and she was kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready for work. And, uh, she didn't really understand what was so exciting about it. Um, but, uh, then it came, I was, it came in the mail in a huge box could have held a basketball. And, um, you know, it was boxes inside of boxes and wrapping and wrapping and wrapping. And, um, you know, I looked at it for about an hour with my 10X loop and really kind of studied it. And uh, then I took it to to the safe deposit box. And when my wife came home, she was like, hey, I'd like to see the card, but it wasn't here. So uh, I said that it's already at the bank, and she was a little disappointed. So that Saturday morning, I kind of woke her up early and said, you know, hey, do you want to go see Roger (laughs) at the bank? And uh, so now it's kind of a running joke for us. Whenever I'm talking to someone about my collection, she'll be saying to me, "Are you going to take him to see Roger?" <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's great. That's but great. Uh, so so that's a a, a funny story. Um, and I guess the other one that I I talked about in the magazine was, you know, I wanted to get Bob Lilly's autograph, and uh, he was going to be at the White Plains show last January, and. Um, I had planned to, to go and I uh, couldn't talk anybody into going along with me. So a little bit of a long drive, but I thought it's worth, it's worthwhile. And then uh, leading into that weekend, we ended up getting snow and sleet. So it made it a longer drive about a little under seven hours round trip. But, um, but I did go and um, 
the eight by ten is is pictured in the magazine. Um, it's an early photo uh, of Lily in the the blue kind of three quarter sleeve jerseys with the stars on the shoulder in the uh, cotton ball, and he signed it, um, Mr. Cowboy, uh, Hall of Fame, uh, 1980. So I was really happy to get to talk with him for a couple minutes and um, get a couple of pictures and get his autograph. Um, so that was that was a great story. Um, for me, at least, anyway, it was satisfying. I was well, we glad got I together was... in de- in December. Um, you can't forget your Dorset uh, experience too. Uh, I got to see that firsthand when you got to uh, cozy up next to Tony and get an autograph and chat with him a little bit. That was really cool at the uh, Philly show. Yeah, so uh, I I had plans to go to the Philly show. Uh, on Friday with another uh, collector, and um, the show had been moved from its normal location because of some flooding, and uh, you guys were going to be going on Saturday. Um, and it turned out that, you know, I talked to Jeff, and he said, you know, no, 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 it's not going to be a reduced number of vendors like it had been the previous time. It's going to be the full set of vendors. So I thought, oh, that's fantastic. I'll, I'll meet you guys at the show on Saturday instead of Friday, but I never went out to look to see who was going to be there. So we're, we met up and we, we split up to kind of see what was there at the show. And I heard the loudspeaker make an announcement, uh, something along the lines of, um, if you have a ticket for, um, your, uh, meet and greet photo opportunity with, uh, Tony Dorsett, please come to the autograph area. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Tony Dorsett's here? So I went to the back <laughs> and found out that, yes, in fact, he was there. And uh, and then I think I bumped into you guys saying, you know, oh, my God, Tony Dorsett's here. You know, I'm like a, a teenage girl at a concert or something and uh, looking for something to get him to sign <laughs> because I didn't have anything along with me. And um, so I bought a, a mini helmet. And uh, while I was in line, about ready to – uh, have him sign the item. I heard Steve, Steve, and looked over, and, and Jeff and Bob were down by the Touchdown Treasures booth and got my picture, um, waiting for uh, Tony to sign. And uh, <laughs> I got to talk with him for about five or ten minutes. I was the last person in line, and uh, he signed uh, Tony Dorsett on the one side of the helmet, and I ran for America's team on the other side of the helmet. So something custom um, on the uh, helmet, but it was fantastic to get to meet Tony. Um, he really was uh he was really smiling when I told him, you know, I remember watching him on Monday Night Football um rush for the ninety nine yard touchdown and I was jumping up and down. Um he really he really laughed at that. I guess maybe trying to picture uh <laughs> trying to picture that in his mind, but yeah, it was a great opportunity to, to get to meet him. He looked um you know, he didn't look beat up or anything like that. He, and I'm glad he was able to spend time with his fans because I saw him with several people just, you know, talking for a few minutes. He wasn't, you know, signing and get out of here type of thing. So that was very good on his part. Very, he, he was a class act. He still is a class act all the way. Great guy. Great player, uh, to say the least. I was I was glad you got the autograph. I thought that was real cool. That, that, was, that was really nice to see. And that was an interesting that was really show. Cool. Yeah, thanks, man. It was a good show, um, as we commented, you know, on the on the ride home. I'm, I'm still amazed at seeing dealers who just don't move in their tables. They just sit there 
for the entire show. You know, no eye contact, no no voice contact type of thing. Just cracks me up to say the least. But uh, there was a lot of nice stuff there. I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing all the, the different things and getting out of the area to see a different show too, which was good. It was good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. Steve, another question for you. Um, so if you could do it all over again, you know, you're back starting to collect, and what would you do differently? So what's your advice to people coming into the hobby, trying to figure out what to focus on? I mean, we always say, you know, collect what you love. We we all agree with that. But any nuances to that and, and any advice or guidance you could give to newer collectors on how to go about things, uh, you know, in a way, what, what lessons have you learned in you know, collecting? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Jeff. I think for, for me, you know, finding something that I really wanted to kind of tear into and um, that I really had kind of staying power on took a little bit of time. Um, I, I started looking at things that, well, maybe they're not expensive, so I would buy I started collecting like the all-time AFL um, rookie cards and things like that. And then I realized that, well, it's neat to read about these guys and learn about them, but I don't need to have the investment in, in all of their cards. So then I sold those and um, I started to look on the modern side um, at players uh, from the nineties and the two thousands. And there was a bunch of, uh, inserts and parallels from the 90s that were going for astronomical dollars. Um, so I, I, I bought a couple of those, and then I had some buyer's remorse. And then I realized that um, you know I really appreciated when there was one card that was kind of the base card for the player. And maybe there were some regional items or kind of oddball items, but I kind of liked the simplicity of having a 76 top strandy white card or a uh, 1966 Philadelphia gum, Chuck kind of thing. Um, so I went back and started to, to buy those. And one of the things I found over time was um, while I really appreciated buying the higher grade items kind of when I was competitively building my sets, um, now I'm a lot more picky. If I if I see a card, like a, recently I saw an Ed Jones that was graded a 10, and I didn't think it was a 10, so I, I didn't even make an offer on it. Um, I, I would just say to new collectors, look at the card, really think about what is an important um, characteristic to you. Is it having the card? Is it the condition of the card? Um, do, you, do, you really, do you really need the, to spend the extra money for something that is um, – you know, different under a 10x loop versus the naked eye, kind of a difference between a 9 and a 10. And, um, you know, is it more enjoyable for you to, to go with, you know, the lower-priced item and um, and not have such a financial investment in it? If, that, if I had to do things over, that would be the one thing I would look at, whether or not I would um, put as much of a premium on the super high quality of the item versus just having a high quality item, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. I think, I think a lot of collectors in a way are just so hung up on the number of the cards rather than looking at the card itself, the beauty of the card, so on and so forth. 
and the affordability of the card. And again, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I am. You know, I have very few graded cards in my collection, and I, I just enjoy collecting. I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, not oh, you know, I'm sure I'd like a, a better grade card or whatever. But you know, in the same same light, I'm glad I got the card I got, and uh, I appreciate the history behind the card at the same time. And this is coming from somebody who still has a lot of cards from my childhood and from the '60s, and uh, was able to build upon it, you know, over the years. And uh, again, I I tell a lot of collectors too, you know, buy the card, don't buy the grade. If you really like that card, it looks really nice, buy it, you know. And uh, that's important. Well, Steve, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, what a great collection you have. I, I was very happy to see some of it in person, and I was glad to meet you. And uh, on our, our, what I call my, uh, probably the fastest 72 hours I've lived in a long time, uh, back in <laughs> December, on a, uh, a total football joint, if there ever was one. So, again, Steve, thanks for being on the show, and I'm sure we'll be in touch down the road. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, guys. Steve Wolf, Dallas Cowboys Super Collector in this winter issue of Gridiron Greats Magazine. Jeff, we've got uh, about six minutes left. We're going to wrap things up. I'm going to hand it off to you. Uh, what did you learn on tonight's show as far as uh, the chickles or the, the premiums and some uh, very, very uh, well-documented and great, great Cowboys pieces for Steve's collection. Yeah, Steve's got a great collection. I was sitting here mulling this over as I was listening to him. And, you know, the thing that strikes me, Bob, is, you know, we we hear so many times, and I've been listening to you and Joe on the podcast forever, you know, kind of the classic story of pulling out your cards from your childhood um, thinking maybe you're going to throw them away, you're cleaning stuff out, and and you kind of get sucked back in, right? And you start, you know, collecting them, and then maybe you drift back into vintage. But what Steve's doing, I think, is interesting, and I wonder if it is where the hobby is going. And that is that he drifted back into vintage, but he also moved forward into some of the modern cards particularly the retro sets that are being produced which i gotta Mm -hmm. admit they are beautiful right i'm not Mm -hmm. a modern big modern collector but i can understand how if you know you're a dallas cowboy fan and you love these players from you know 60 to you know through your childhood and there's you know classic retro sets coming out whether they're auto or they're you know refractor or whatever that are representing those classic players, why you'd want them in your collection. And it, and also Steve kind of blends between someone who's collecting, you know, manufacturer sets. He's got team sets, a team set. He's got player mm-hmm. sets for players he enjoys. And I wonder if that kind of mix, that blend of I'm not, you know, I am or I'm not a set collector, or I am or I'm not a type collector, or I am or I'm not a team collector, or whatever, is what's happening in the hobby. And I personally think those kinds of things happening in the hobby is good for the hobby moving forward because it's going to keep everybody engaged with some of the newer sets um, and kind of round out people's 
collections. So, I mean, that's kind of what I I, I, I got. I agree with you a hundred. I agree with you a hundred percent. I think classic set collecting is long gone. Uh, Old timers like me who still prefer, you know, collecting sets. I'm at the point in my collection, like I told you numerous times, I'm for a lot of the oddball stuff I'm looking for. I'm happy now to get one type card from the set. So at least I can mm-hmm. see what it actually is, and and you know I, I have a type collection, and I do have a type collection, and I also have a complete set collection too at the same time. And right. I truly understand I I can't collect every oddball set known to mankind. I don't have the resources, nor do I have you know, or am I going to find them at the same time? So I think right. you're, you you really you really hit it spot on with what you, your analysis. That that is probably the trend for the hobby, and it is very, very healthy for the hobby at the same time. And I have no issues whatsoever, and I've, I've had this happen at a couple of shows where I had guys come up to me and say, listen, I can't afford any, I really can't afford to put together the 57 Tops football set. Do you have any lesser grade cards that I could, you know, just of, of whoever, the Bears or the Packers, so I could have for my mm-hmm. collection? And inevitably, you know, I can find something for them, give it to them at at an exceptionally reasonable price. They're happier than anything that they actually now have a piece of that history, and it ties into their collection. And I and I just think that's great for the hobby. I really believe that, and I I I do agree with you 100 percent that that is probably going to be the future of the hobby over the next five to ten years, if not longer. Uh, Because again, who's really collecting new stuff other than team? you know, players and or teams. I think when Tops right. ended in 2015, that had uh, the low-end Tops and Tops football in general. That really ended it for a lot of collectors, you know. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. my, last full, that's my last full set, 2015 Tops. That's it. I didn't do anything and have not done anything over the past four years. So it's, it's impacted the hobby. All right, we're down to yep. same, down Same to for me. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say same same thing for me. I stopped when Top stopped in terms of the newer sets, but I do pick up a few modern things that I think are interesting here and there. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and I, I've heard that from so many different collectors, uh, you know, saying the same thing. Fifteen was it for me, with, and that's it. Two minutes to go. I'd just like to remind everybody we're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website at msbsportscards.com. And also sponsored in part by BSD Auctions. Please check out their website and register for their auctions at bsdauctions.com. So, again, as I say many, many times on the podcast, you know, here's another avenue, uh, another area that may not be known to a lot of collectors, the R311 premiums. Here's another example of a super collector with just, uh, just an amazing collection of items and again classic stories collected when he was younger has those vivid vivid memories of opening the 1980 tops football packs great story walk across the street from where his mom's working pick up a few packs at the local five and dime or the, the drugstore or whatever it may be just, it's just really nice and i kind of long for the days that i could run into today a Walgreens or a CVS and buy a pack when I'm checking out and that's not to be found anymore. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just funny to me in a way. And it's just, it's almost like everything, uh, everything changes to say the least. All right. We're almost out of time. Jeff, thank you for filling in. Hopefully Joe will be back in, uh, at the end of the month from his, uh, elongated vacation again. 
and uh, we'll have a couple new shows coming up. Uh, I do. I will go publicly and say I appreciate you uh, putting on that weekend a few uh, weeks ago. What a great time I had! I, I really became rejuvenated for the hobby again to to meet the challenges of nineteen. All right, we're almost out of time. Thanks for listening. Again, check out our website at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Bob. Take, Take care. care. Thanks, Jeff. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.